Karen, I know it's really important to make sure that we have an engaged workforce to do, well, really all of the stuff that public servants need to do, but that sounds kind of challenging. I mean, it's very challenging. Yeah. How do you build an engaged and excited workforce to do the work that needs to be done day in and day out? Well, let's find out. everyone. I'm Javier. And I'm Karen. And together we are the, the Gov Geeks. Geeks. We get together every Thursday to do a live show to talk a little bit about getting in and getting ahead in government. This is Gov Geeks Assemble. Level up your nine to five on 95. Uh, Karen, what are we talking about this week? Engagement. Engagement. You mean like proposals? Oh, no. Not, yeah. not, not quite the proposals. Not quite. Because I did that like 22 years ago. And I think I nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're talking about employee engagement. Employee engagement. Yeah. So basically a person's willingness and their excitement to do the same job day in, day out, even though the mission basically is ongoing. Right. And being able to give or being um, or wanting to give their discretionary energy to a mission and to the work. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, how challenging is that to, you know, wake up every day when you're going to work, you know, for sure on Sunday, when you're thinking about, I've got to go to work the next day to have people really excited and happy to go in and do what that work is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's also why it's important from an employee perspective that they feel really good about the work that they're doing. So this way they can continually want more of whatever it is that excites them and why they're there in the first place. Right. And continually give themselves to an organization. Right. So this is a bit of a change because in a lot of our other shows, we talk about it from the employee perspective. But now looking at it from the employer or the manager, what are the strategies that they can do? to help make sure that people feel really engaged and excited. Yeah. yeah. We like to change it up. We like to change it up just a little bit. <laughs> uh, well, let's go ahead and get into it then. I know we have three strategies to talk about here. Uh, what's the first one? So the first one is to involve them in the vision. You mean like WandaVision? No spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> For those yeah. who have been under a rock and have not seen WandaVision yet. We yeah. won't have any spoilers. No spoilers there at all. Right. So not like WandaVision, but more like setting a vision ah. of, of a team, of an organization, of a project, all right. of that. Having the individual team members involved in that rather than, all right, I as the leader or manager, this is the vision I see for it. And then team, this is what we're going for. Because right. do you feel involved if somebody just kind of throws a vision to you? Yeah. Here's the assignment go do this. You know, well, I know a better way to do it. Ah, yeah, just do it this way. You know, that, that could be a bit challenging. How motivated would you feel to actually do the work if you don't really feel great about what it is that you're doing anyways? Then you can say, I don't know, my boss told me to do it this way, so I'm just going to do it that way so I don't get yelled at. Exactly. You just do enough. You do the bare minimum. <laughs> You've talked about that before. Minimum, exactly. Yeah, having all of our, our pieces of uh, flair basically on. We reference Office Space so often. It's Although so I don't think we did reference it at all last episode. So this is probably true. We yeah. were off our game. <laughs> Everyone, as you're watching this, feel free to go back, check our math, see if we missed anything, watch all of those. While you're there, make sure you like, subscribe, all of that great stuff. Uh, no, but I think the other important thing about setting the vision is that it really builds a person's connection 
to whatever it is that the organization is going for. So if we say, yes, for sure, here's this great and grand thing that we have to do for our organization, but here's how I feel we can best contribute to that. At least giving people the opportunity to feel like they have a say in it. They've contributed, yeah. Right. I think absolutely. that's very important. Oh, absolutely. It's very important because um, we we care about an individual's perspectives, their expertise. I mean, if you didn't, then why were they hired in the first place? Why are they even sitting there if their contributions are going to be valued? Yeah, because uh, there's nothing worse than just feeling like a pawn in the grand scheme of what an organization right. is doing. Yeah. You want to feel like you're valued, that your contribution matters. So this is one way to do that. So I'm curious from, from your perspective, because you've been a leader at multiple organizations. You're an executive director here at the GovGeeks. How is it that you help a person shape what the vision is? What do you do to help a person you know, look at that vision and say, this is what I think? Talk to them, communicate, communicate, have that open line of communication and ask them that question. You know, I think I've been in several teams where there's been a lot of change, change management and change in what we're required to do. And so it's important to ask those questions of, okay, now that we're, you know, trying to accomplish more things, how do you envision the team of the future so that we can not only accomplish these, but be more efficient with it, enjoy it, and essentially just do a good job with what we're managing? You know, what I loved about what you said is you used a really open-ended question. How do you think? Uh, it gives them the opportunity to reflect look at their experiences, see how things have gone from their perspective, and offer some feedback. I think there's a lot of examples out there where an organizational leader may think this is the best thing to do, but they only understand it from their perspective. They don't have all the pieces to the puzzle, so they can't really put things together as well. But if you listen and communicate and get people to bring those puzzle pieces together, odds are you're going to have a better outcome. Right. And sometimes I've noticed you have to sort of tailor your communication strategies a little bit. Sometimes I'm doing it in a group setting and a lot of times people are afraid to speak up. So then you kind of mention that if you have feedback that you want to provide me that you're not you know, comfortable saying in front of everybody, feel right. free to reach out separately. And that sometimes helps and I do get feedback that way. Mm. So I think it's just a matter of learning how your team communicates. Learn how your team communicates. So it's, it's having that relationship directly with your team, taking the time to have conversations that are meaningful, that contribute towards the greater good for the organization. And, and I think that that's really the, the important thing because uh, you're not gonna have team engagement if you have a very directive type of an attitude where you just kind of like storm in and you send an email and you say, you know, go do this, go do that. Um, you're not willing to hear outcomes or anything because then if something goes wrong, then from there, the people that were involved, they can say, you know, it was management's fault. I, I, you know, I told them this or I told them that they wouldn't listen. Terrible things had happened. But if they felt involved, then if there was a bad outcome, they could say, well, I can see the mistakes that I made. I understand how my contribution connected to this outcome. Here are some things that we can do to help adjust. Right. But I, I also want to take the, I know we're talking about the manager side of things, but from the employee side of things, make sure you are speaking up and participating in those communications, those, right. you know, participating in those when you have the opportunity, that's when you do it. Yeah, because you can't then just sit there. Well, I had nothing to do with this because, you know, 
I, you didn't let us know what right. your thoughts were. So it's easy to kind of take that, um, you know, type of perspective when you don't really want to have the accountability, right? We talked about accountability before, mm -hmm. and that's one of my, um, your values. Yeah. One of my values. Right. And so it's really difficult to say that, you know, you aren't on board with something if you don't provide your input. So it's really difficult um, to kind of be in that type of position. You know, I think one of the bigger themes related to this is that there has to be trust established because the organization, uh, the organizational leader creating a culture of trust where people can have open conversations and create a safe space where people would be willing to have the conversations needs to, needs to be there. But also the individual people that are working for that organizational leader should also have trust that the leader is doing what they can to help establish that type of an atmosphere. Because yes, it is not a, a one-way street. Uh, you have to contribute and it has to be something where people come together mm -hmm. in order for an accurate decision to be made. Because then if the leader says, you know, I tried to build trust, I created the environment, I gave them all the opportunities in the world, they didn't speak up, why should I continue doing this? That's very true. Yeah. It's very difficult to continue to do that when you don't get that type of participation or feedback. It makes it very difficult. You need the feedback. Yeah. And it's also something where you, you could be asking for participation and feedback. And what do you think? But in the end, many times it's leadership's decision. Right. And I think that's also okay. the hard pill to swallow too. But I think you can do it with transparency is, look, I got this feedback and I hear what you all are saying. We're going to go this way because X, Y, Z. Because so of then these you, reasons. Right. So then you can explain the reasoning. And again, they're all along for the ride and are being communicated with rather than, you know, this is how it's going to be. I don't care what you all say. We're right. going to move forward like this. Yeah. And that's one of the challenges of being in that leadership position. Ultimately, it comes down to that one person that is going to say, do it this way or do it that way. They've taken in all of the input that they can, but at the end of the day, they have to make that decision. Uh, and the more you find a leader that is willing to do that, the easier it is for you to have that trusting relationship because the leader could just say, oh, it's, I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to make a decision. I'm going to kick the can down the road. Mm -hmm. And then everyone tries to manage as best as they can. And then things kind of get fumbled. Right, right. And that's the balance that you're, especially with servant leadership, where I I feel like I do that a lot too, where I get a lot of input before I make a decision, but I also don't want to kick the can down the road too much. I want, I don't want to be indecisive or delay things. I want to make sure to make a quick decision, but at the same time, understanding all the pieces that would impact my team. Sure. So balancing that is definitely important because you don't want to just like, well, I'm trying to get all the input from everybody. I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, at, at some point as the leader, you need to make the decision. You need to make the decision. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and be willing to hear everyone's uh, information along the way. And honestly, to be able to hold on to the consequences, good or bad, that comes from the decision that you had yeah. made. But at least you are helping to set the vision in partnership with everyone else. I heard this quotation and I'm probably going to mess it up, but uh, a leader should be most concerned when their most engaged employee stops contributing. Mm -hmm. that that's one of the most challenging times where they should be most concerned. So yeah. if you're setting the vision with them earlier on, it's easier to establish an opportunity to have the best of odds to have that success. Yeah. So what's the second one? So the second one is to empower your team with mm. 
autonomy. Autonomy. So wait, what, what is autonomy? Autonomy is essentially when you are giving your team the ability to do their work without micromanaging them, right. without constantly telling them how to do their job. And as a manager, it's important to have that oversight. But at the same time, let your team do what they need to do. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about, you know, failing fast, right? All of us are afraid of failure. Right. But at the same time, you have to let your team just like we have to do with our children, let your team make their own mistakes and learn from them. Well, that's part of the growth process, regardless of our age or, or where we are in the process. You create a safe space as a leader for people to contribute, but also a safe space for them to fail. Because what happens if they try something, they fail, and then the leader comes in and berates them, makes them feel terrible? Well, they're not going to want to risk anything later on because exactly. they're just going to get yelled at anyways. So they'll just say, give me whatever the assignment is and, you know, don't yell at me and I'll be on my way. Right. And they'll rely on you heavily right. to help them to do it. Which then later on leads to a lot of the challenges and the stresses in a leadership position because they feel like they have to really walk everyone through step by step on something because the person isn't willing to do it because uh, they don't want to get in trouble. And that just leads to a lot of work stress for uh, team managers, supervisors, division directors, branch chiefs, all of that sort of stuff, uh, empowering the individual with autonomy. So you give them the resources, the skills, the materials, you make sure that the right person is in the right place at the right time to do that type of work, you know, that team management in general, and then allow yourself to kind of step back and create a space where they can accomplish everything. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the leader doesn't have to be the absolute expert in everything. Well, they can't be. <laughs> exactly. That's why they have the team of experts. Right. Yeah. And, and so when you have a leader that's able to recognize that, yes, they have their own limitations, they know what the other team members are able to offer and allow them to do the great things. You know, one of the great tips that I'd heard about leadership, and I think this is John Maxwell, when he's basically stating, if a person can do the job as well as you can, or a little less, like if you're going to grade it on a, you know, a grading scale, if they can do a B, delegate that responsibility to them and move on to do other things. Because if you're collecting all the stuff and you're like the most important person with this, uh, basically like a hero syndrome, a, mm -hmm. a Superman syndrome, where they, they need to come into the rescue and solve all the problems and they feel better that way because everyone needs them. It's about the team. What does the team need, really? Mm, interesting. So autonomy, I think, is a, a great thing for people to have. It's very important. And I think you have to also build trust both ways Absolutely. because the leader needs to trust that you're going to be able to do your job and inform them when there's an issue. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where you want to strike, again, another balance of you're not being micromanaged, but you are providing periodic updates so that your supervisor's not like, well, I haven't heard about this project in like three weeks. I don't know what's going on. So then they're going to want to ask, well, hey, what's going on with this? It's good to make sure that you get ahead of that and make sure that your management is aware of everything that's going on. Sure. Again, sure. just awareness, just so they know that you are handling it and they don't have to start doing that, um, you know, investigation. Yeah, exactly. And trust takes time. You know, that that relationship that's established over time. So uh, I saw a great image of like a glass and it basically just showing the evolution of trust. So it could be a glass, it breaks, you can glue the pieces back together again so it can still work as a glass, 
kind of like our uh, our glass that came or our oh, mug that came broken. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so for everyone's awareness, yeah, there's like this area here where it kind of breaks. And then unfortunately, the challenge, uh, putting it back together again, you can still see the cracks that are there. It still functions as a cup, but that trust that you had established earlier on, it's not the same. Yeah. Absolutely. So make sure that you are empowering. You're allowing a person to feel that they have the ability to do the work that's needed. And plus, from an employee perspective, I mean, if they feel like they have responsibility, they have skin in the game, they're excited to do the work because they were contributed to the vision. They had some ideas for how they can execute something. Odds are they're going to want to be more responsible and engaged and have a degree of fulfillment because they were a part of a process. Yeah, absolutely. But there's nothing more toxic than not allowing that uh, autonomy and empowering your team. That Absolutely will go downhill so. really fast. Real fast. It'll get real old real fast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the third tip? So the third tip is to build in the fun. Build the fun. Right. Yes. Which you got to bake it into it. <laughs> right. And I know I struggle with this a lot. I'm trying to build in the fun with, you know, all the stuff that we have to do day in and day out and try to have some fun sometimes. But at the same time, sometimes it's hard to get people to get involved in those types of right. fun activities. And then it's, um, what is it? Um, mandated fun, or I forgot what the, the term is. Um, yeah, I, there's this great coffee mug that I saw once that said, the beatings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and sometimes it can feel that way. So if you like force people together to get to, you know, a gathering, a party or something else, or to do some sort of team building activity that people honestly don't care about, um, that really doesn't move things forward as much. You may be trying your best, but it doesn't necessarily click. Um, and to be honest, I, I've had some experiences working in government where there was a lot of morale based upon the leader's ability to empower others to have the fun baked in. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's simple things. Just by listening to the teams, what do they like? What do they care about? What makes them happy? Not just like, oh, I love doing spreadsheets. Give me more spreadsheets, you know? Mm -hmm. But like, what are their interests outside of the, the typical nine to five type of work? How can you create an area that allows people to feel good about working with each other and find areas of commonality. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I mean, we had get togethers based on uh, movies, based upon holidays, uh, where people were really fun and excited about all of that stuff. We've done- The uh, pie in the face, what was that that you guys we did? We did pie in the face, <laughs> yes. And that was part of a uh, fundraiser for, um, uh, our, you know, annual fundraiser that we do in, in government. Um, sorry, it's the CFC. Yes. The combined federal campaign. Thank you so much. Yes. It was definitely for that. And people were having fun contributing to see whomever got the highest money to get the pie thrown in their face. You know, in another organization, we also did uh, Mardi Gras parades and uh, quite simply, we had just different carts uh, people were on them and everyone had a chance to get like all dressed up and everything. And then we went throughout the building and we provided people with candy and we we're playing music and people had a chance to kind of stand up and take a moment out of their day just to kind of celebrate and everything. It was it was something that meant something to the people doing it. Um, but you can't just like go into any organization and say, okay, guys, we're going to do a Mardi Gras parade. Exactly. <laughs> be happy be about this. Yeah, it has to be I organic. Know, yeah. It's just, it is difficult because a lot of times it's, okay, do we do it outside of the regular nine to five? But then a lot of people don't want to 
do anything past their slotted exactly. time and then do we like include for the it? happy hours all of that right. stuff absolutely exactly do we include it within the core hours but then there's the issue you got to make sure that it's appropriate so right. it's just working through all of that so i think you know definitely an area where i continue to to try to grow because I want to have fun, but at the same time, trying to help employees get the work done at the same time. So. Well, this is tough for, for most managers, if not all managers, because really they're, they're trying to do the work that needs to get done. And at the same time, they're trying to build all of these soft skills. And I think what we're mentioning with trust building, collaboration, open communication, empowerment, autonomy, all of that, none of those things are really hard skills. So if a person is looking to get into a, a position that's higher than where they are, they think, oh, I need all of the technical skills. Well, you need to be able to have the soft skills to really excel once you're there. So it's about mm -hmm. how do you develop your soft skills to empower others and work well enough with them. Yeah. Very, very challenging stuff. But still, it is something. Uh, and I know that these three strategies, these aren't uh, the all encompassing strategies. And certainly this is like 30 minutes. We're not going to be able to get through everything, but it's still pretty helpful. Mm -hmm. So what were the three things again? So the three things were to involve them in the vision setting, mm -hmm. empower teams with autonomy Very cool. and build in the fun, build in the fun. Right. And at the end of the day, as a, as a manager, you want to feel happy about the work that you're doing. As a leader, you want to be happy about going to work as well. So if you establish good relationships, you have fun, you like the people that you're working with, you're able to have successes and meet the mission, then that's good for you as well. And it's all about stress management because sometimes you can be a leader that gets really stressed out. They don't mean to, but they can take it out on other people in the organization and the morale kind of like goes down as well. So Listen to yourself about how you are feeling about your workplace as well. These are some things that you can do to make your life better, not just everyone else's better in the organization. Right. Pay attention to your attention. Pay attention to your attention. That's well said, Karen. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Heard it somewhere. <laughs> Uh, well, okay, so we have questions from the Gov Geekdom now. Uh, if you have questions, please come on out to thegovgeeks.com. Um, send in a question that way, or if you want to um, reach out to us on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, all of that stuff, or if you have attended some of our seminars or our presentations, please feel free to share your questions there. We'd like to answer them here for our greater community as well. So, uh, Karen, what is the first question from the Gov Geekdom? So the first question is, how do I manage up? Oh, such a great question. It is. So like if you are a staff level, how do you manage to the next level? If you're at that level, how do you manage to your leader, your boss, you know, that that chain? Yeah, very true. Right. So how do you manage up? I think it is where you have to really understand your management, understand what is expected of them. Right. Understand how they communicate. It's Again, really relationship building again, because you want to understand how they work. Some people are very much into the details. Some are not. So you want to make sure that you're understanding that type of personality. And then you can hopefully make sure that you are tailoring your um, work in that way. Oh, I think that makes plenty of sense. Because it's having that degree of empathy. This whole time we've been talking about, well, how does a manager see the perspectives of their team? Well, how is it that you as an individual in the team see the perspectives of your leadership as well? Yeah, and, and again, establishing this relationship. So what do they care about? If you care about them, then by extension, you should care a little bit about what they care about. 
their family, their friends, what they're doing, um, you know, sports teams, that sort of stuff. So you can have a good open conversation about the things that they care about. I mean, don't just like memorize facts about them just to try to manipulate them later <laughs> on, but use it as a way to have a, a genuine connection. Find find ways that you can actually be comfortable about working with people. Uh, I've had leaders that I've talked to different uh, at different times about like soap operas or you know fun things that they they like to do, like watching a lot of the um, reality television shows and stuff. Mm. Mainly because that that's the stuff that they care about. Yeah, I mean that's good having that that uh, social and soft skill to be able to do that. I think it's also understanding them professionally as far as what does their management expect of them so that you can help to make sure you're providing that up the chain sure. so that they have what they need. They understand timelines, how they take their meetings, what information that they would like. I think also uh, it helps when you present an issue or a concern to not only just bring the issue to them, but also bring a proposed solution. Uh, something that has a little bit more of collaboration behind it. So, you know, you walk in and you say, you know, I found, we found this issue we looked into it. Here's the root cause. Uh, we found a partnership. We looked into it. We found out some issues as to the root cause for all of it. Um, here's some solutions that we're going to propose to you to see if this would work. Uh, we just need your buy-off to make sure that this works. Right. Rather than, it, hey, here's a problem. Fix, fix it for it. me. Yeah. And no manager likes that. Right. I, I can't think of any. Well, maybe there'd be some who are like excited to then right. try to. There's another thing sleeves. that I can do. Right. The hero complex, the I hero guess, complex. would be what it is. But but I think for the most part, most managers, they have a lot on their plate. So by you coming to them with yet another thing for them to fix, it's definitely not something you want to do. You want to show that you've thought through the problem and again, have come with a solution. Right. Come in with the solution. Those are just a couple of the ideas. Uh, and these are some of the things that we've used ourselves throughout all of our career. Uh, and there, of course, may be plenty and of And continue others. to work on. Yeah. And it's Because as your management thing. changes, you have to adjust. Yeah. But if you look at the other person as a person, rather than a, a you know, decision maker or a person that is going to you know, shape your career and all of that stuff, what can I get out of them? You know, look at them and have some uh, humanity basically mm -hmm. treat people with respect and hopefully they would treat you back with respect. Exactly. Treat people how they would like to be treated. Right. The but if they don't, role. then, you know, you have no control over that. Oh, exactly. You can only control yourself. Definitely. Okay. So that's the first question. What's the second one? The second one is I'm transitioning from school to work. Mm. How do I handle my anxiety about going into this new environment? This is a great question. This came up in a recent presentation that we had done. Uh, and basically the concern was, you know, I've excelled, I've gotten to this point in my career, and now I'm going to be in a completely different setting. You know, the workplace is different than going to college or some of the other experiences that they had had. How did they make the transition from one world to the next one? Uh, Karen, you've, you've grown into different positions. How is it that you've been able to just succeed one level, one opportunity, one right after the other? Learn from mistakes. I mean, that's really what it is, is learn, 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 mm -hmm. learn from mistakes, learn what the expectations are and understand what the position requires. Right. And, you know, everyone just from my observations and seeing Karen's growth over the years, which is just phenomenal. I, I know that she does a lot of um, patience building with herself you know, recognizing that there's a mistake or a concern, reflecting back, well, okay, what could I have done differently? What were the issues? 
how can I prevent something like this from happening in the future? You exercise a great degree of mindfulness. Uh, she mm -hmm. does a lot of good journaling as well, where she kind of reflects on some things. Uh, and you also do a lot of um, like small classes that you take, small seminars, things like that. It doesn't take a lot of time or a lot of money to spend an hour watching a video or engaging in a, a webinar or workshop and then applying some of those strategies in the workplace to see how it works and continuing to evolve that way. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah, well, thank you for that. But yeah, I think it, and it's important to have that reflection because mm -hmm. I, I think even just a couple of weeks ago, I, I had one of those where it was, again, kind of in the morning when you're in the mode of thinking through the day and just reflecting on things. And, you know, I was thinking through something and I felt horrible about it because I feel like I was putting undue pressure on my team. And, you know, I talked with, you know, some of the members of the team about that, just like, I apologize if this is how my actions are making you feel, mm -hmm. because I know I was feeling it. And I felt like I was having like a domino effect, right? And having that impact, impact on my team members. So I wanted to make sure that I addressed that right away. Because again, it's just, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of pressure and just trying to make sure that I'm reflecting on how my actions impact others. Well, it's great that you were able to have some accountability for yourself as well and how you were working towards the solution. And also you weren't just going to your team and saying, you know, here's the bad stuff. You were actually just saying openly, here's the issue, what we're trying to deal with, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That shows a lot of maturity as well. Hmm. I try. So thank you guys so much for joining us for another session of Level Up Your 9 to 5, uh, 95, GovGeeks Assemble. We very much love this show and having you guys here. Karen, what's your closeout thoughts? Empowerment is powerful. And I think as a manager, it's important to remember that and that your team members are people. Your managers are people. So make sure to not forget that and to keep the human factor in the back of your mind with everything you do. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for your service. Please take care of each other. Thank you.